Hello, everyone, and welcome to Think Like a Dog podcast, hosted by Andrea Paiva and Millie Travis. In this podcast, we discuss how to build the best relationship with your dog. From rescues to reactivity, we'll cover it all. Welcome back to Think Like a Dog podcast. And today we are on our episode eight, and we're going to talk about exercising your dog. And I feel like this is going to be a whole lesson for me because mm-hmm. we didn't really get there yet. You know, mm-hmm. they get really good exercise when they're in day camp. And I feel like that kind of takes a weight off my shoulders in a way. But this is going to be a lot new information for me too. Yeah, so. this is actually, I set this up to be an intervention for you. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Okay, so exercising your dog. A lot of people know that obviously dogs are physical creatures. They need exercise. They need to go out on walks. Some breeds a lot more than others. Um, Some breeds are are bred for certain different types of exercise. Everyone knows they need to exercise. Nobody gets a dog without like, yeah, I'm going to have to walk it. The problem is... What I run into a lot uh, is is the t- the way that we exercise our dogs, and it's something I am extremely passionate about um, because it, it feeds into a lot of the problems that I see um, on a day to day basis in sessions. So, whenever I ask people, okay, well, what, uh, how many, how much do you exercise your dog? I normally get like, oh, well, we walk them um, every day, normally for 20, 30 minutes. Sometimes we walk them for twice a day, but sometimes I'll get things like. We go on a, you know, an hour and a half long walk every single day, or we cannot deal with that dog if, if we don't do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, my follow-up question to both of those answers are, well, what does the walk look like? Right. Um, and they will say it's awful most of the time, <laughs> or they'll say it's okay. I mean, they pull a little bit, they walk a little bit ahead of me and they sniff around and, um, and then I will follow that question up with when you see a neighbor, do you go greet the neighbor? Does your dog greet the neighbor? Um, does your dog decide the direction that you're walking? Does your dog, dog decide the speed? Um, does your dog decide when you stop? Um, and, and normally people will say yes to all of those. Okay. And then I will follow that up with, and I'm going to ask you this question, Andrea. <laughs> Let's use Max as an, as an example. Is there any type of exercise, and maybe we do this before you started working with me, would there be any type of exercise that you offered Max that had zero excitement in it? No, it really didn't. I mean, Max is, he sees me and he feels like he needs to find a ball because that's fetch time. Like I'm a fetch instrument. (laughs) All I do, all I, all I represent, all I was to that dog was she is my fetch throwing. Like she's my ball throwing human. Like that's really, he literally saw me and he needed to like find a ball. I'm getting you a shirt that says I am Max's fetch instrument, (laughs) fetch instrument, but okay. But yes, I came out here to originally work with bubbles, but if you, your top kind of complaint about Max, when I, when I said, let's bring Max out was what? He was just very demanding. Like he would bark at us all the time. And we were one of those people that felt like we needed to exercise him so much, like three times a day, we would be playing fetch. So we could just get him to be less excited and less demanding and not barking so much at us because he would just 
you know, bark at me all the time. Yeah. I mean, your biggest thing that you guys both told me before, I mean, you, Ozzy just kept warning me over and over and over and over, over again. Max is hyper. Max is hyper. Max is hyper. I, I mean, I was expecting like a crack addict when you guys pulled him out. I'm like, okay, he's a doodle. Yeah. He's going to be higher energy. But like the, the amount that you guys warned me was, I was like, what are they bringing out? It's a doodle. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But all of that to say is your main complaint was the amount of excitement that Max produced. Right. But every time we exercised him, it was with the most extreme excitement. Okay. A lot of people look at exercise in dogs as a way to drain energy and in order to get a calm dog. My goal is I I want a calm dog even if I haven't completely exhausted my dog. I don't want my dog to only be well behaved after they are absolutely burnt out. Okay, I want my dog to just wake up well behaved when they have energy or when they don't. The way that I look at exercising and when people say "I, I need to drain energy from my dog that's a faucet. You're not turning off. It's a dog. They are physical creatures. They are made to, to walk miles and miles and miles a day to find food. And then they have to hunt for that food. And then there's a hierarchy, there's structure around who eats first. And then they move again to find safety. They build their dens. It's, they are physical animals. You are never going to exercise them enough so that they are well-behaved forever. It just, you're, you're never going to get there. What's going to happen is you are going to build I mean, build stamina over time. You are going to create an athlete. You are going to create a dog who wakes up, expects excitement, expects to be stimulated in some way, shape or form, whether it's mentally, whether it's with a, you know, a ball fetch, whatever it is, expects to do something at every single moment. And yes, they are going to get tired from that. Then they're going to take a nap. Then they're going to wake right back up expecting the same thing. It's never that they learn how to be calm. You just are going to be in this vicious cycle of exercise with excitement in order to get less excitement. But when you practice any pattern, you get very good at it. And and we talked about this, I think, two episodes ago of kind of the scale, right? Yes, we are exercising our dog, which is good for them. But if I only ever play fetch with my dog, especially if fetch is without any rules and it's just, I mean, chaos that's a, a pebble in, on the side of uh, my dog is practicing excitement when my goal is less excitement. Yeah. And that's what you really learned. Uh, what we really learned with you is when we started working with Max, one thing, one session that we had, you said you have to, you can have a structured fetch game with Max mm-hmm. where you're showing him how to respect you and how to acknowledge you. And you're also having fun with him. So that's that also helps so much because before I would pick up the ball and he would go for my hand. He would try to get the, the ball off my hand immediately. So I had to immediately throw it. He would bark at me if I didn't throw fast enough, you know. <laughs> so he and now we've gotten to the point where I pick up the ball, I get eye contact. That's the main thing. You're mm-hmm. like, get eye contact, get him to calm down, then you throw the ball. We haven't experienced, and I mean, and plus he's going to day camp yep. too, so he's learning so many important skills yeah. at your day camp. But now we've gotten to the point where we are having like really healthy fetch games where he's acknowledging me. He knows when it's time to end it. We end it in a good on a good note. He follows me inside. You know, we it's 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 calmer now. It's not so hectic like before. Yeah, I mean. 
so yeah, let's talk about productive play. I mean, we can, we can go back and circle back to what, um, what does exercise without excitement look like and what are my options for that and why should I do it? I think we kind of already covered why, but you know, on, on the other side there is, well, what if I want to play with my dog? I mean, that's crazy. I'm not, I would have no clients if I said you can never play with your dog. There can never be excitement. It's how we do it. So, um, you know, my dog Kemper is, is very much, um, ball driven. He has a lot of prey drive in him. It's not that I never play fetch with him. It's that I want to make sure that when he is that at that intensity level, I am teaching him, uh, things about, I mean, there's structure around it that if he's at a high intensity level, I can still control it because that can be used for, let's say, you know, a squirrel runs across the street and I'm working with him off leash or drop lead or whatever. If I can call him off, which I can most days if we're having a good day, (laughs) if I can call him off of after I throw a ball and he goes to get it and I can call him back to me mid run towards it, I can call him back before he gets in the street. There's like very practical reasons why you should have structure to that play. And there really shouldn't ever be a time where it's just chaos. There's just no rules. So no matter if I am playing fetch with Kemper, which fetch is in our backyard, he has to be by my side first. I tell him, wait, throw the ball. He has to look up at me while staying by my side after the ball is already thrown. And then I tell him, okay, and he can go Mm -hmm. get it. So then he has to go and use his nose to find the the, the ball, not just kind of using eyes and ears. And um, it's a lot harder for him. Most of the time, by the fourth throw, he's exhausted because he's Mm. most of that time is spent searching with his nose in my backyard of where did this ball go? So I'm, I'm really working him mentally on top of making sure that I am really practicing impulse control for him. When I play tug with him, it's the same thing. He loves tug. So I'll bring out his tug toy. And the first thing that I will do is I will walk around the house with it, with it just by my side. Just because it's out, I'm not an instrument. <laughs> I'm not yeah. I'm not his fetch instrument. <laughs> Just because I'm holding it doesn't mean anything. I have to invite you to do this with me. So I'll walk around the house and then I will say, okay, he can go and grab it. And then I will practice. Sometimes he has to drop it. Sometimes I let him win and then it's a whole big fun thing. But there are still very big, I mean, huge no-nos. So if he, if I ever feel teeth on me, whether it's an accident or not, I plan on having children one day. I, I, there can't, there can't be accidents, whether he accidentally grabs my hand instead of the tug toy, I interrupt. So we, the game stops, not forever. It's just, I pause, I move into him. He, I give, eye, he gives me eye contact and then I invite him again, but we're not going to just continue, right? He's also never allowed to jump. So if I feel pause on me or teeth on me, I interrupt. So it's not ever just this um, no rules. Everything is at level 10 game. I mean, if it's at level 10, it's because I brought it there and I have say so over when I bring it back down. And I, I think the big thing too, that I do with him for productive play is I decide when it's over. I'm not waiting to tire you out. I decide when it's over. Um, so even if you still want to play, I'm going to put that tug toy down or that ball down on the ground and I'm going to say, leave it and we're done. And mm-hmm. that should be enough. It, I don't, I shouldn't have to put it in a drawer. I shouldn't have to, yeah, I'm calling you out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I shouldn't have to hide it. I shouldn't have to put it on a top shelf. I should be able to just say, we are done now. That's it. So it's not that exercise cannot involve excitement. It's that most of the time, I'm clearly on a tangent. It's that mm-hmm. most of the time when people invite exercise or in, invite excitement into their exercise, there's no rules 
And it's just chaos. Yeah. And I mean, it was chaos for us a long time. And I need to do that too, is getting Max to wait before going after the ball. That would be awesome. Because like you said, when they use their nose, it tires them out so much faster. Oh, yeah. And it's especially fun if you if you ever can find, if your dog is off-leash trained and you have reliable recall, that's important. If you go to a field that has really tall grass or high kind of um, high grass, throw it in there and it's a lot harder for them to search for it. But most of the time, if your dog is crazy ball driven, they can find it. Yeah. Yeah. Max would definitely find it. He's mm -hmm. loves that. ball. Oh my God. And, and one thing that you told us too, is when you're holding the toy, the ball, which whatever, uh, is, you know, thing that you play with, you have to hold it down yep. by your side. Cause I used to hold it all the way up above my head so he wouldn't get it. And in, immediately he would be jumping on me and it would be like, I have to make it to point A to point B would be a long, really hard thing to do because he would really try to get it off my hand. Um, so when we started to hold it down at a neutral level and just, you know, walk with it, not really change our pace, just walk back. He gets it. He's like, right, game over. Time to go inside. So that really changed oh, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, one, I mean, I posted something about that on Instagram, on our story, um, on the Mirror Image Canine story of uh, one of our day camp assistants holding a dog and walking into um, walking into the campground area where we have our day camp. If you're holding something, the higher up that you hold it, the more uh, drive that you're building and the dog's on the floor to go and get that. The yeah. second thing is, if you remember that video that you sent me of you walking out the first fight with Bubbles and Max, you were holding the food above your head, right? Mm -hmm. So the higher you hold it, not only the the more drive you're building from the dogs on the on the ground, but you're also kind of showing them that you don't actually have true control over this item. So if I walk into our pack of 20 dogs in day camp and let's say, which I have done, let's say I want to eat something. I walk in with, I mean, food right and right here, like right here. I'm not holding it up. I'm not holding it down. And I'm just expecting these dogs to understand that this is mine. And if they don't, I show that and I, I enforce that through spatial pressure. I should be able to put a ball down, food down, whatever I want to put down in the middle of a ground of 20 dogs, which we practice this all the time, and nobody gets it because it's mine, right? Yeah. It's I'm claiming that resource first. And in order, before I ever start level 10 play or even level two play, I have to make sure I can do level zero play. And so... Going back to, you know, everyone wants that kind of happy dog, what we consider happy dog, um, you know, playing and, and having the best time or, you know, either with another dog or us or playing tug or whatever. It, in order to get there, you have to first be able to bring that tug toy out and your dog doesn't maul you, not viciously, but you know what I mean? Like your dog doesn't jump on top of you. If I can't walk around with Kemper's favorite toy in my hand without him going insane we're not playing yet. That's step one. Same thing with the leash walk. If I can't put the leash on you without you going insane, this is where we work because mm -hmm. I've already started the exercise, but clearly I'm setting the tone for something that I don't actually want to follow through with, right? If I'm yeah. struggling to get the leash on my dog, if I'm struggling to walk around the house with a ball in my hand, then that's where you work before you ever even throw that ball, before you ever put that dog or the ball down or you introduce the tug toy to your dog. If you can't teach your dog how to be at zero, you have no business being at 10. Mm -hmm. Now, when you are introducing a toy or when you really want to, like for example, when Kemper, if you feel any teeth when you're playing, 
and you talked about using spatial pressure, that's really important in play. I feel like a lot of people say, okay, that sounds great, but how do I make my dog stop going for the toy when it's in my hand? How do I stop play? It's all about walking into them, right? And, That's a really big... Yeah. And if you haven't practiced spatial pressure a lot, um, and maybe your dog isn't very good at it yet, or at least you're not very good at it yet or aware of it, um, a leash is there to sort of help kind of guide them away from you. But the important part of it is that your energy has to shift. So I can be going from like, yeah, get the tug toy, get the toy, get the toy. And then all of a sudden I feel teeth on me. Yes, accidentally or not for some dogs. And then I'm going to stand up, get very calm. Yeah, you're not angry with your dog. Um, and then your energy shifts. It's serious now, right? You're interrupting something. It's not play anymore. But if you do that and you're still kind of like giggling or you're not sure about what you're doing, your dog's not going to take you seriously and they're going to go for the tug toy again. Dogs can sense your energy. They're so sensitive to your energy. So you can't pretend to be calm. You can't pretend to be confident. You have to be. Mm -hmm. You just have to really shift into that different mindset. And you when you start to play, I feel like that was really important for us, is that I had to be more aware of our playtime. I had to really pay attention to the way that he was, you know, acting during play. So I didn't let anything slip. And then it created like an unbalanced relationship again, where he's thinking he can get away with the same stuff as before. So when you are teaching your dog how to have a really good time playing with you and how to exercise without excitement. The first thing is teaching them how to do nothing, right? And that goes back to place work. I mean, it goes back to everything. It goes mm -hmm. back to, um, you know, structure, rules and boundaries, exercise without excitement. It, it is the basis of all of it. So, um, for example, at our day camp, most daycares are going to be, you're going to look in the window and you're going to see a lot of dogs playing, especially in the morning at really high intensity levels. We're going to have an episode all about day camps and what to look for and red flags, green flags, all of that. But that's not necessarily a bad thing is if you look in the window and you're going to see a lot of dogs kind of going crazy and at high level intensities in the mornings um, at, at a different day camp. The difference is that at ours, we take dogs that struggle with social skills. So we take dogs with a history of reactivity. We are working uh, those dogs around our pack. They are there for day trains and not day camp, but we're really trying to teach them healthy skills. And if we don't prove to them that we have control over that room, they're going to. Okay. On top of, let's say that I have two very happy-go-lucky dogs that are maybe puppies and they love playing with each other, but they take it too far, something happens, somebody gets their feelings hurt, whatever, and then all of a sudden there's a fight. At our day camp in the morning, you're going to see a lot of dogs pack walking, you're going to see some dogs sniffing around really calm, and then you're going to see some dogs on treadmills and you're going to see some dogs on place, okay, or in the crate, okay? The entire point is that I am not ever going to teach a dog how to socialize and how to play with another dog until I can teach them how not to. That is so important to me, especially with our, our day camp that we run. If I can't bring a certain dog into a pack of dogs without them trying to play with every single dog, then I can't drop your leash. I can't because yeah. I then don't have control over you. Right. And if I don't have control over you, the pack is then forced to have control over you. And they use, I mean, dogs use their teeth to make decisions, to enforce what they, they want. I use a leash. I'm a much better option for mm -hmm. you. Um, but I think that is probably, uh, the harder part about running a structured day camp. It's not that we take 
dogs with social uh, deficits, let's say, um, dogs that have um, a history of, of reactivity around other dogs, the, the hardest part is the happy-go-luckies that, that have the expectation of when they see another dog, we play with the dog. And if I can't turn you off, I'm not turning it on ever. I'm just not, not until I can really make sure that neutral and calm is your go-to because nobody comes to me to build an excited dog. People come to me because they want their dogs calmer, but then they raise excitement through play. And the only exercise that that dog ever gets has so much excitement in it. And then they say, can you make my dog calmer when all they have been practicing day in, day out is excitement. So, you know, people really want to exercise their dog, get their, get them tired. Maybe they're working all day. And the only thing they think about is let's go to the dog park next door and let's get you tired. But like Millie said, if you can't get your dog to a point where they know that there's structure in your play, the first thing is a structured walk, right? Mm -hmm. That sets the tone. Mm -hmm. Because when we started doing structured walks with our dogs, like when Rusty first got in with us, Every friend, the first day he came in, because he was so anxious, he had so much anxiety, I was just walking him around the yard. And I was trying to keep him right by my side. We were just taking walks. And then he would be drained after that. Oh, yeah. Oh, and we would be very slow walks, just in circles. Sometimes I would just go circles all around in the pavement. And he would be completely drained. Yeah. So... That's also really exercising your dog is structured walk. Step that one. That is your, I mean, that is your core of your yeah. exercise without excitement. Now, let's say you got Rusty home and every day for excitement, you let him just run your whole property, right? I, I mean, like kind of like Kane does, right? Yeah. Uh, and every single day he, I mean, maybe the first day he had probably about 10 minutes in him before he got really tired. By now he would need to run that property for an hour. Right. In order to actually be calm, because every single day you are building up the stamina for how much excitement he can take. You're you're making him an athlete. But let's say what you have been doing now is, you know, what you have done from the very beginning with him, which is structured walks. And I told you this the last time when he came into day camp for his second day, the association was calm. And he had only ever been on structured walks. Like the association was when I am out of my crate, uh, even when I'm around dogs, which I'm still not very sure about, the expectation is look to the human and I, my goal is neutral, right? My human wants me neutral. Mm-hmm. So, so then it's a lot easier to get him from level four when he walks into that room because yes, he does have a feeling about those dogs back to a level one or a level zero than it would be if you were, I mean, exercising him with tons of excitement. But on the other hand is Max, right? Even when you were exercising Max with tons of excitement, he still walked into the day camp calm. Not because you had drained him, but because the expectation was when you walk in this room, you need to be neutral. Mm-hmm. And it feels good for dogs to be neutral. And that's a whole other topic. But Dogs don't like chaos. It feels good to be neutral and it feels good that when excitement does happen and intensity levels do raise, that there's somebody else in control of that. It's not up to them. And I used to take Kane to dog parks and there's a huge dog park uh, about 20 minutes away from us and all the dogs are off leash. All the dogs are running around. Nobody has control over their dogs and there are times during the day where it's packed out. 
And I would think, okay, I feel so bad. Kane looks bored. Let's take him to the park. And honestly, he would be more stressed out than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, now that I'm re- that know more about body language, I can tell how stressed out he was because first, Kane is not so great around random dogs. He has a little bit of lack of confidence in certain things. And once we learned about that, we're, we've never again took our dogs to dog parks, but that's a whole different episode too, dog oh, yeah. parks. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, but it's so important to learn the structured walk with your dogs first and learning that they do like calm. When our dogs go to the day camp and they're calm all day, they're exhausted in their ride home. Because Be- we've set the tone. Yes. We've told them calm is what we want. And then we give you a calm dog when we when we hand them back to you at the end of the day. Yeah. At other day camps, or let's say you go to the dog park, you might walk your dog back into the house and they might be tired. But then they're going to wake back up expecting that same amount of excitement. I cannot tell you how many times I have started with a client when they've gone to a dog park and... I mean, there are some clients that I've worked with that go to the dog park literally every single day in order to live with their dogs in a way that is okay for everybody, that they don't annoy the crap out of them, right? But then when I say stop going to the dog park, start whatever amount of time you were taking to go to the dog park, start structured your structured leash walks. Now these dogs are, they come back in and they're calm. They come back in and they lay down and then they, when they wake back up, they're not like, hey, let's party again. It's yeah. cool. We, we were calm before, so we're going to be calm after it's, it's truly, what are you practicing every single day? And then also what are the associations that you might not think about that you're building, but you really are. With structured walks, can you make just some quick points yeah. just of people that are just listening in? How would that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do once again, a, a whole episode on the walk. Cause it is the most important thing that you can do with your dog correctly is a structured walk. One the first point that I would say is you're simulating migration. So when dogs migrate together, there is no excitement. It's not um, the only intensity level that happens is really when they're when they're hunting together. So when we're just moving together, it's not like this most exciting thing in the world. And when we're moving together, there is somebody who is controlling the speed, the direction that you're going and the distractions that you are paying attention to. So that somebody is obviously the leader, okay? Practically and, and technically, um, obviously the human is the leader, but practically that means your dog needs to be walking next to you or behind you. Um, that, that leash needs to be loose. And we talked about in the tools episode of what pressure on and and pressure off means. Um, when you are walking, I would practice more walking past distractions. So it doesn't mean that your dog can't just like sniff around, but it means that it has to be your idea when, when you decide that, um, your dog can't pull you over here to go smell something. Um, let's say your dog really wants to go smell that thing. My advice is walk past that thing until your dog doesn't pull you anymore and then invite them to go and smell it. Um, it it needs to be something where the whole time you're looking for calm. You're not looking to drain energy. You're looking for, you're looking to practice more of what you already want. When you introduce the structured walk to your dog, the sleep lead is what we usually use. And we talked about on this, on the episode. Um, now, one thing just to go a little bit more into it, you said when they're trying to sniff something, you choose that time. Mm-hmm. So when you're taking them out to go potty, you know, anything. So you're just going to start that by walking first and then you decide when that time comes for them to go sniff around and, and do that. Most of the time I will try to get my dogs to go to the bathroom before I even start my walk. So okay. then that way I don't have to like, Oh, do you have to go to the bathroom? And then I'm tricked into 
No, they just wanted to smell this thing. Um, but most of probably within an hour walk, I'd say maybe four or five stops where I, I allow my dog to smell something, but it sometimes zero, sometimes zero, sometimes we are moving together and I need him focused on me. And the reason that I do that so much is because I, I want to be able to take him, um, downtown on Halloween with a bunch of kids and trick or treaters and have him have it be so familiar to just calmly follow no matter what we're walking through. It doesn't matter if it's 13 purple elephants, uh, you know, Halloween with kids running around or nothing, nothing at all. I want it just to be so normal that he follows my lead and that I expect him to be calm by my side. And you'd be surprised how fast these walks tire your dog out Mm because you're asking them to do something that they're usually not doing, which is staying calm and next to you and paying attention to you and follow your lead. And they're expected to walk next to you. So that requires a lot from a dog to really control those emotions and be able to at first. yeah, At first, but then when it stops requiring so much, it starts becoming default anyway. Yeah. So it's not something that your goal is to tire them out even. Yes, at first it will because you're asking something very different, but as soon as what, when it, as soon as it becomes normal, that's kind of the the point is that then they just stay kind of calm throughout these situations. Yeah. So it's, it's very important to start with that first. And then when you're happy with the way you guys are walking together, then move into a different place. And I, I can tell you that I'm so proud of my dogs when I take them out now of the house and we have to, you know, I get them on the lead and we're going to the vet, we're going out to get food, whatever. They're so good. They they understand that when the slip lead is on them and we're walking, they're next to me. They understand that. And uh, last time I took Bubbles to the vet, we walk in, he's totally calm next to me. Um, I get them on the scale. He sits right on the scale, waits for me to tell him, come out. He goes, it was the easiest thing. And everybody the whole time is complimenting Bubbles. He's so good. He's our easiest dog today. And as soon as we walk out of the the room, there are dogs just running towards him. There's just two these two out of control dogs, and the owner has them on a retractable mm-hmm. leash. The dog lunges to Bubbles, and I just hold him right here next to me, give him a little pressure. He stays. He's sitting right next to me. He does not move because we practiced. We practiced over and over and over again. Yeah, we would have never gotten that if all we ever did was play fetch with that dog. Mm-hmm. I mean. Not that he would fetch, but if if all we ever did was play tug with him or if all we ever did was um, was excitement-based exercises, he would have never known that calm was the expectation there. But people yeah. ask their dogs to be calm when they've never practiced calm. Yeah. Because then when you... So, okay, let's say we we want our dogs to be calm. And it's very clear that our dog actually does not want to be calm and our dog wants to party. The problem is, is that people don't enforce it then because then they feel bad. But... The, the reason that the dog doesn't want to be calm is because you've taught them they didn't have to be, that that wasn't the expectation in that situation. So in order to get calm, you have to practice calm. You have to teach calm. And it's not easy at first. I mean, we did a pack place exercise yesterday at day camp. So we had probably 15 dogs all on their own little place boards. And it was rough. It was rough. I mean, it took uh, probably 55 minutes for everybody to just calm down. And then there was five minutes of true calm, but that was one, yes, work for them. And two, I know that the next time we do this, it'll be easier. 
because we've practiced it once, right? And then the third time we do it, we've practiced it twice. So now asking these guys to be calm is going to be easier and easier and easier every time. It's not something that gets harder. It's something that gets easier. Yeah. But there's so many ways that you can exercise your dog uh, without excitement. The walk is absolutely at the core. But let's say, I don't know, like you broke your leg or it's pouring rain. Um, we use the treadmill a lot for our dogs. So we use dog pacer treadmills, um, but we do not use them on high intensity levels. We don't go most, the higher intensity the dog is, the lower we ask them, the slower we ask them to walk. So our really, really, really high energy dogs, we have them on a 0.5 speed and we really want them to slow their brains down. I want them walking like slower than they would just normally, uh, just walking around the room. The whole goal is to get them really used to being calm and, and a little bit of a slower mindset. The most precious thing that you can teach your dog is how to be at a really calm level and how to not have to worry about what's going on around them because you're making those decisions for them. Yep. And on top of that, you're teaching them how to balance, yeah. how to be a balanced dog. I mean, I have pit bulls and bubbles. As soon as we walk in the room, if we have a, a a smaller breed next to us or a person that's not really a fan of pit bulls, they're going to give us a side eye. But as soon as they see how calm and collected Bubbles is being in that room and he doesn't care about your dog, he's right next to me, I can't tell you the look they give me. It's just kind of like, I knew they were judging the whole time, but then when they look at their dog, their dog's out of control and my dog is completely mm -hmm. calm and in my control they kind of just give me a little smile and walk away. You know, it's just a really rewarding feeling for you as the owner to see your dog get to that place especially, where they're able to be calm, especially pit bull owners. Like yeah. you have to do, and it's not fair, believe me, it's not fair, but you have to do extra work to make yeah. sure that your dog, um, is an ambassador for that breed that, you know, is, is misrepresented a lot, um, or generalized a lot. Yeah. So you have to do extra work with your dog because uh, you already have the cards against you. I mean, the, the, it's already against you. So on, on top of, yes, your dog is, um, enjoys feeling neutral. Your, your dog, um, enjoys having, uh, information provided to them and to, and to know that they don't have to make decisions. Those are reasons why you should practice calm, um, why you should be able to exercise your dog with distractions around you, uh, and still ask your dog to have a neutral mindset. And even let's say you don't believe me. Let's say you don't believe that dogs enjoy being neutral. But if you want to have excitement ever in your life in a safe way with your dog, you have to have neutral first. The other day I let Kemper out of the car. There were, um, Jillian had uh, three dogs with her at the front door. I had Kemper and he saw the dogs. He kind of started walking towards them, recognized the dog, started moving a little bit faster and I said, Kemper, come. He turned, he came right around. I mean, turned literally right around to come back to me. That would have never happened if I had not practiced. Hey, when you go, when I say you can go get a ball, I also expect you to come back if I change my mind. Um, you know, if you're playing, I want to be able to call you off of being able of playing with your best friend. I also want you to be able to stay on place and watch me play and tug with your friend, you know? All, I want you to be able to walk with me around a park, around a, a festival, um, a Halloween night. It doesn't matter. All of the, those things made it to where I can call my dog off of anything, made it to where I am believable um, when he has a more exciting option. 
right? Yeah. There's always going to be something more exciting than you. So if you're, if you don't teach your dog how to be calm and how to how, teach yourself how to enforce that, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're never going to be the most exciting thing to your dog. I mean, every toys exist, food exists, other dogs exist. You're always going to be set up to lose eventually. What, what matters is that you're the safe space. Yeah. And, you know, practicing calm with your dog is just like Millie said, it just gets easier. So it's building blocks that is helping you get to the point where you can have more excitement with your dog and you can have more experiences and you can take them out. You can go out to eat, that you can have them by your side. And, you know, be me having so many different dogs and personalities, they all require different things. Like Max is a lot more high energy. He's a big doodle, 80 pounds. Whereas Bubbles is a little bit lower energy, a little bit, just falls asleep randomly. I mean, <laughs> Bubbles has high intensity and zero stamina. Yeah. That's zero that's stamina bops. at all. I mean, you can work that dog for 60 seconds and then he's asleep. A complete, you have, Millie has a video on her Instagram where she's working Bubs and out of nowhere, he just flops over and just 20 takes times it out. in a row. Oh, just like in the same day. Mm-hmm. So your dog requires different things from you, different information. And you just have to be able to start first at home. And like you, like Millie said, when it's raining, you just pl- practicing place work with them indoors. Or even if you're bored, practice, um, you know, structure around the game of tug, practice, um, you know, you can practice nose work things. You can, you can practice, um, you know, uh, little kind of obedience commands, but asking them for a lot of impulse control. You can, one of my favorite games, um, I don't know if you call it a game because nobody wins or loses, but uh, one of my favorite exercises is going up and down my stairs and making sure my dog's front paws are are on the step that my feet are. Never uh, mm-hmm. the next step, never behind me, but like really precision leash work. I love doing that stuff when it rains because it wears him out on top of, it, it teaches something I eventually want to use, which is no matter if I take a half a step or whatever it is, you are right by my side. Well, you know, I think that we covered a lot with this episode and exercising your dog, and we're going to go a lot more into it uh, later on talking about the structured walk in more detail, because that's a really big one. Um, But in the next episode, which is episode nine, we're going to talk all about puppies. And Jill will be joining us and And she's, she does our puppy classes. She's my, my puppy guru. Yes. And I think that's going to be really fun, especially coming into the new year. Um, You know, many people decide to take that step. So it's going to be a big episode. And Jill, all she does is puppies, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really fun, you know, to work with puppies. But there's so much to it in that beginning stages of a puppy's life Mm -hmm. that's going to set them up for success or failure. Yep. And um, so we're going to have Jill on next time. And uh, we're excited to talk to her. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us today. And don't forget... Practice makes progress. All right. Until next time. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Think Like a Dog Podcast and follow at Mirror Image Canine for training tips. If you have any questions, please reach out to us via email at info at thinklikeadogpodcast.com.